0: What a beautiful name it is. is! not you say the name out loud? Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus. You know, there's no other name under heaven whereby men, women can be saved. It's the name above every name. That at the very mention of that name, one day in the future, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. If you never did it, you will then. If you resisted it, you won't then. In fact, that name is the gateway into the afterlife. Do you believe in the afterlife? There's no other way into this afterlife called heaven except this name. So I ask you again, do you believe in the afterlife? You will. You see, that's the whole thing, you will. You believe in the name, maybe you don't now, but you will. believe in the afterlife, maybe you don't now, but you will. This is session number six. There's going to be seven. One more, Lord willing, next week. We'll wrap up the series, and it is my plan to begin talking about, uh, to preach through the book of Acts. I spent 43 sessions on the gospel of John, and the logical next step, after you know the gospel of John, is to know what the church is supposed to be doing. So the, the book of Acts is description about what's the church, what are we supposed to be doing now that we know the gospel. I plan to start that in two weeks. But I ask a question today, have you made plans for the afterlife? Do you think it just happens? Have you made a reservation? Did you call ahead? Did you get your room set up? I'm going to begin today with the scripture that has been the central theme to this series And the Apostle Paul writes to a church in the church age because he knows what our struggle is. He knows the very thing that they struggled with in the first century church and in the 21st century church. There's no difference. Here we go. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ. So who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. Since you have been raised to a new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven so i need to do this if you're a visitor today i want you to if you turn to the back of your bulletin every scripture that i use is listed i i I don't list any i don't talk about anything that's not recorded so you can research it for yourself i also leave blanks and the yellow on the screen behind me will be the fill in the blanks maybe that helps you to uh, stay connected Since you've been raised to a new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Jesus Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right now, today, he's at the right hand of the Father. But look at the next sentence. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why? Because this is our struggle. This is man's struggle. What? Because I think about the earth because I happen to live here. It's hard to think about heaven when you can't see it, but you can see the present earth. Why do I need to look forward? Why do I need to plan for the afterlife? Why not just look at the obvious, the world around me? This question is at the heart of our spiritual battle. This question about whether or not I am willing to address that which is coming and take my eyes off of the temporary and look at the eternal. Several years ago, uh, 20-something years ago, I read a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. I absolutely love the book. It talks about how simple yet how profound this call to be a Christian is. And there is a verse that's quoted to uh, C.S. Lewis. I want to read to you today a, a statement he made. Here's what he says. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The only thing this concept of an afterlife cannot be is almost important. It cannot be moderately important. If Christianity is a lie, then we'll all leave this world with nothing. If Christianity is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. This is about life and death. Do you know about the curse? Did anybody tell you about the curse? The curse actually came from God. Do you know right now, everything, everyone is under the curse. Sitting in the room today, you're under a curse. I'm under a curse. Everyone, everything on this present earth has its origin in a curse, and the curse comes from God. Do you know that? If I were to sum up the curse, it would be this. The curse is death and decay everything's dying and everything's aging if you don't want to talk about it it doesn't change it everything on earth is dying and everything on earth is decaying which means it's an aging process what would it be like here's where we're going today in the afterlife what would it be like if god lifted the curse You see, this curse is on people and animals and plants. The entire earth is under the curse. But what would it be like if the curse was lifted, if the curse was taken away? You know where the curse came from, don't you? If I look around the room today, surely you know where the curse came from. God told them don't, but they did. God told them don't, but they did. And that brought a curse, a curse on all creation, on people and animals and plants and the planet. Everything is now under this curse. God said, don't, and they did. And Eve knew, and Adam knew. It wasn't like they got caught in a trap that they didn't know about. They knew. God said, don't, and they did. In fact, let me read it to you. This is uh, one verse, Genesis 3, 3, and, and Eve is speaking to Satan. She says, "It's only the fruit in the tree, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat." She knows? She knows it's only that tree that we can't eat." God said, "You must not eat it, and you, not, you must not touch it, for if you do,, what? what, what, what what's going to happen? You will die. There's a curse. God said, don't, and they did. There are other effects of the curse, but the ultimate effect of the curse is death. What are the other effects of the curse? When this curse happened, it happened in the garden. I'm going to tell you, your relationships are affected by the curse. Your life's purpose is affected by the curse your work is affected by the curse your health your longevity is affected by the curse your thoughts and your feelings are affected by the curse and we're all under the curse and ultimately ultimately the grand finale of this curse is death it always ends in death you will die you have to understand that there was no death in the garden when Eve is talking to the serpent about the tree, there is no death in the garden before sin. It was like heaven. There was no death there. The sin of Adam, and I need to make something clear here. The sin of Adam brought a curse from God upon everything on the earth because everything under the earth on the earth was under Adam's dominion. But some of you would say, well, that conversation was between Eve and the serpent. The sin of Adam. Eve was the one deceived. The Bible clearly states Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam bore the responsibility because why? Because Eve came from Adam. And because the origin was where the curse would be placed. All of earth, all of creation was under the dominion of Adam. God had put it all under Adam's dominion eve came from adam eve was deceived and the curse came the sin of adam he bears the responsibility adam bears the responsibility and now everything from adam is under a curse eve came from adam the creation was under adam's dominion and now everything from adam is under a curse. You and I are from Adam. We're under a curse. Did you know that God calls Jesus the second Adam or the last Adam? But Jesus, the second Adam, came to do something, he came to break the curse. Of the first adam where do i get that it's found in galatians three thirteen. but christ has rescued us from what he's rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing for it is written in the scriptures cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree the curse of death was pronounced by the law don't do it and god is the lawgiver and god said to adam and he said to eve don't do it but they did how did the law bring a curse the law revealed our lawlessness if there were no laws to break we couldn't be lawbreakers lawlessness finds its origin in satan And inside of this room, we all have the seed of lawlessness inside of us. Do you doubt that? When you go down the road and that sign says 55. You don't want to go 54. The limit is 55. The limit is 55. Do you want to go 54? No, you don't. Don't look at me like that you want to go 56 7 8 9 10 you can go as size you can go right there is a sense of lawlessness inside of us satan gave this poison to adam and eve i want you to have this visual picture that satan has the is the origin of lawlessness he is a rebel He rebelled against God. He is an angel who rebelled against God. And he comes to planet Earth and he has now infected Adam and Eve with this lawlessness. And because you came from Adam and Eve, you've got that lawlessness. I've got that lawlessness in me. Yes, there is a law. And a lawgiver. And that law is perfect. Thou shalt not... The law, there's nothing wrong with the law. If the lawgiver says you will die. What did did he say to Adam and Eve? If you eat of this tree, if you break my law, if you rebel against me, if you follow after lawlessness, you will die. So Eve and Adam broke the law. What do you think should happen? If you're the lawgiver and if you're righteous and you're holy what do you think will happen you will die you must die you must die the curse is death and God said if you do you will and they did and everybody since then has been dying you must die Adam died that's the curse telling you today we begin with this idea there is a curse upon all of mankind upon creation itself adam pulled off 930 years the bible said and then he died he died first corinthians 15 22 says just as everyone dies because we all belong to adam Do you wonder why people die everyone dies because we all belong to adam we all find our origin in adam everyone who if that's true what's our hope everyone dies because we belong to adam everyone who belongs to christ will be given new life there's another adam you can belong to there's another life-giving source you can be connecting to that's why if you don't understand genesis guess what you will never understand the gospels If you don't understand the origin of man, if you don't understand the garden and Adam and Eve and sin and the curse, you will never understand why God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. You'll never get it. It won't make any sense because you won't understand that there's a curse and the curse was given by a holy and righteous law giving God. And if you do, what? Sin. You will die. And we've all sinned. We've been infected with lawlessness. We've been infected with sin, and we live under the curse. But what if there was a second Adam? A second Adam. What if there was a second Adam and the second Adam didn't do what the first Adam did? What if the second Adam, when confronted with this seed of lawlessness, when confronted by Satan himself, never went along with Satan? He only followed after God. Well, what happened to the curse? If there was a second Adam. And what does this have to do with the afterlife? Everything. A.W. Tozer, again, one of my favorite writers, writes this as a description of modern man. Listen carefully. The average person in the world today, without faith and without God and without hope, is engaged in a desperate personal search throughout his lifetime. He does not really know where he has been. He does not really know what he is doing here and now. He does not know where he is going. The sad commentary is that he is doing it all on borrowed time and borrowed money and borrowed strength. And he already knows that he will one day die. He knows. If you know that one day you will die do you deny the fact that you will one day die and you're right now on borrowed time on borrowed money and borrowed strength and one day you will surely die you don't know where you came from the average person doesn't know where they came from they don't know why they're here and they don't know where they're going they deny the fact that one day a door is going to open a door a gateway a pathway is going to become in front of you and you're going to walk into the afterlife. And if you remain under the curse of Adam, the afterlife is hell. But if you are set free from this curse of Adam by the blessed Son of God, the afterlife is heaven. Let me put it mathematically. Adam equals death. And we're all from Adam. It's a curse. Jesus equals life because the curse has been canceled. The afterlife depends upon this equation. Adam equals the curse. The curse is death. Do you want to live under the curse? What person, what person would live a day under the curse of death and decay when someone has offered to set you free from the curse? You know the answer. Nobody likes to say it out loud, but you know the answer. You don't believe it. Either you don't believe you're under the curse, but how will you deal with the question that one time you will surely die? Or maybe you don't believe there's somebody who can lift the curse, that can actually cancel death, that can actually undo death itself. Is there such a person? Romans 5.12, the Bible says this, When Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Jesus came to break the curse. But some of you would look at me after saying that. Jesus came to break the curse. Say, Hallelujah. That was pitiful. Say, Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus He came to break the curse. And I know what somebody's going to say. They're going to say, but Terry, people are still dying. If Jesus came to break the curse and the curse is death, why are people dying? Why are believers dying? Why are we still burying believers these days? Listen to what Jesus says about that question. And I need to tell you in advance that he says it at a funeral in a graveyard. It's found in John 11:25. He looks at Martha and he says these words, "I am the resurrection." Can I tell you what cures the curse of death, 100 percent of the time? The resurrection. If somebody dies and they resurrect, the death has been overcome. And Jesus comes to a a funeral service, and Lazarus has been buried for four days. Four days he's been dead. And Jesus comes, and what's he say? I'm the resurrection. Well, that'll fix anybody's death. Anybody's death can be fixed by a single word, resurrection. And he looks at her and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies, even if he's been in the ground four days i'm the resurrection then he says "And anyone who lives and believes in me will never die now some of you in the room believe that i hope all of you in the room believe that but i doubt that's true whoever lives and believes in him will never die you know why you'll never die well wait a minute we buried somebody no no you will live even if you die you will never die. Death is the idea of being separated from the lawgiver, separated from the life giver. The resurrection is the cure to the curse. It is the cure to death itself. One of these days, the door is going to open. One of these doors. One of these days, a gateway is going to open in front of us. I hope it's soon, and I can tell you the event that's going to happen when it happens the bible says clearly one day there's a door that's going to open do you want to know the truth about the afterlife or would you like to just not have to deal with it one day there's going to be a loud shout there's going to be a voice of the archangel and there's going to be a trumpet call of god one day there's going to be a loud shout Now, I have studied and wondered for years what the loud shout is. The Apostle Paul doesn't tell us when he writes to the church at Thessalonica. He doesn't specifically say, but I'm going to guess. Based on Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, I wonder if the loud shout is this, the bridegroom has come. But he says there's a second thing that's going to happen. There's the voice of the archangel. And and while this is happening, listen carefully. The reason I'm going through this, do you want to know what the afterlife door is? This is the afterlife door. Because when this happens, when these three things happen, the resurrection is going to happen. Those who are dead in the graves are going to start to come up. Those who are alive and believing, they're going to come up. There's a resurrection. The curse is gone. Three things. There's going to be a loud shout. There's going to be a voice of the archangel. I wonder if the voice of the archangel is this. Look up, believers. But then he says something else. There's going to be a trumpet call. i want to tell you, this is a shofar. I ordered it from Israel. I've been working for a long time to be able to play it today. Because I want the church to understand what these three things are. What? A loud shout, a voice of the archangel, and a trumpet blast. I want you to be familiar about that trumpet blast. So here we come. I bet you can't do that. <laughs> and neither can I until they push that button up there. <laughs> One day a door is going to open. And bodies are going to come out of the ground. And there's a hopefully a large portion of people sitting in this room today that believe that. And you're planning your whole life around this event. Because you've set your sights. On heaven. Satan has not deceived you into focusing your entire life's energies on the temporary that will be overdone by the permanent. Because here's what the truth is. It's found in First Thessalonians 4 13. Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. He wants us to know what's gonna happen. He wants you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. What about your grandparents or great-grandparents who were believers and they've been put in a box and the box was put in the ground? We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you won't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, when's he going to return? Loud shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet blast. That when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him. What, what, what? God will bring back with him when he comes. God will bring back with Jesus the believers who have died. I thought their bodies were in the ground. Their bodies are in the ground, but that's not where they are. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with number one, a commanding shout, number two, with the voice of the archangel, and number three, with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, secondly... Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be with the Lord. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now inside that scripture, there's verse 14. Where are these people? or Excuse me, who are these people that God will bring back with Jesus when he comes. Who are they? It says God will bring back with him the believers who have died. God's bringing them back with him. When this loud shout, when the voice of the archangel, when the trumpet blast goes off, the Bible says that God, Jesus is coming in the clouds and God's going to bring back with him the believers who have already died. Who are they? They are the believers who have died in the church age from the time of Christ. They, their souls, have been with the Lord in paradise. Their souls have been with the Lord in paradise, and I believe they were given temporary bodies while they were with the Lord in paradise, awaiting an event. This is the event. The event is the resurrection. They're coming back for the event. The event is the resurrection. Why? Because their bodies, their soul has been with with the Lord in heaven. Their bodies were in a box in the ground. But they're not going to stay there. When they return with the Lord, they and we believers who are still alive on the earth will receive our eternal, immortal flesh. This is the first resurrection. This is the resurrection into the afterlife. Let me focus on verse 14. Let me read one more time. For since we believe, what's it based on? It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. For since we believe that that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, when he comes back, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I need to tell you something today. If you're a believer, the curse for you has been broken already. If you're in Christ today, the curse is broken right now. If you die today in Christ, your body will go into a box and they'll put that box in the ground. But your person, your spirit, your soul will go to be with Christ in paradise until... Until, until there's a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and a trumpet blast of God. Some of you might wonder where I get the idea that believers who have already died have temporary bodies in heaven with the Lord until they return because he's not bringing them back here for no purpose. He's not bringing them back for no purpose. They're coming back and the dead in Christ are rising as they're on their way back. And they're going to meet in the air. This dust is going to be risen and their soul and they're going to get a new body. And if you have not yet died, you're going to rise in this body and this body will be transformed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That which is mortal will be replaced with immortality as you rise to meet him in the air. In the book of Job, the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 19. Actually, I want to read two things. I want to read from the NLT and read it from the New American Standard. Much more literal translation. First, the NLT. Job says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is Old Testament stuff. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth when? At the last. And after my body has decayed and after my body has decayed after i have died yet in my body in my body i will still see god i will see him for myself yes i will see him with my own eyes i am overwhelmed by the thought now go to the new american standard it says as for me i know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will take his stand on the earth he's coming to this planet even after my skin is destroyed, Job said, yet from my flesh, in a fleshly body, I will see God. Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another, my heart faints within me. So here comes a question about the afterlife. What about the time when the curse will be finally and totally broken? Right now, the curse is broken for believers because we have a resurrection. But we still live in a fallen world. We're still subject to death in this flesh, right? We're still aging in this flesh, right? But what happens when it's finally broken? For now, we still live in the curse. Jesus has not yet begun to reign on this present earth. All of creation is groaning awaiting the day when we're liberated from two things. Listen carefully death and decay aging you know most of our houses in this area are built on top of concrete blocks cement blocks they're called but you know the reality is you can take a concrete block the foundation for our houses that we build, hoping to live lifetimes and lifetimes in you can take a concrete block and put it in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere and over enough time that concrete block will turn to dust Why? You ever thought about it? Everything is decaying. Everything is in the process of decay and aging and death. This current earth is not heaven. We are supposed to set our sights on heaven, and this is not it. The day is coming when our Lord Jesus will reign, and then you know what we say? What curse? What death? What decay? That's not going to happen until Jesus' glorious appearing and his physical return to planet Earth. This, we will be under the curse to some degree until he comes and stands on this Earth. How do I know? Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for the medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse. There's a day coming where there will be no more curse on the earth. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamp or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign, how long, church? Forever and never. It is the afterlife. Did you notice the chapter number on the verse I just read? It's the last chapter in the Bible. No more curse is where it all ends no more curse. It began with the curse in Genesis. The last chapter in the Bible says there will be no curse on anything. I like to refer to that as Genesis part two, because is it the end or is it the beginning of the beginning? Everything new, a new heaven, a new earth. What will it be like in the new heaven? What will it be like on the new earth? What does the Bible say about the day? What do you think it's going to be like? I guarantee I could get a lot of opinions. What do you think it's going to be like when the curse is lifted and the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb are on a brand new earth and you're here? What's it going to be like? Will you be you in heaven? I remember several years ago I read a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. and In fact, there is one thing in that book that totally transformed a thought in my mind. Will you be you in heaven? There's a lot I got out of that book. It's a great book. But one thing stands out. Will you be you in heaven? Who else would you be? You know, it seems like such an easy question until you start talking to people about heaven. Some people have this misconception of heaven that we will all be changed into new people that have no recollection of our past No identity in self. A lot of people have this idea of heaven that you won't have any memory of earth, that you won't have any memory of of family members, or you won't know anybody. You've just kind of been relocated there. Where'd you get that? I know some people say that if, if if you knew somebody who didn't make it to heaven, and you knew about them, then you would be miserable that they were lost so you couldn't possibly have any memories in heaven. Where'd you get that? I can tell you where you got it. You made that up. You made that up. It's not in the Bible. It's not in there. There's no such thing in the Bible. In fact, I'll tell you what's in the Bible. Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And guess what? The rich man is in Hades. He's he's not in heaven. He's in the afterlife, but he's not in heaven. He's in Hades, and he has full knowledge of his brothers back on earth. He has full knowledge. Send somebody to go tell my brothers so that they will not come to this place of torment. What? So he has knowledge in his mind in the afterlife of his past. He knows about his present, and he also knows about his future. He knows about all of it. He's fully conscious. He's fully aware. Here's the deal. If I'm not me when I get to heaven, then I didn't go to heaven. Somebody else did. Think about it. If I'm not me when I get to heaven, then somebody else went to heaven. It wasn't me. You will be you in heaven. The resurrected Jesus didn't become somebody else, and neither will you. You're not going to become a different person there. You're going to be you. Jesus came back, and he wanted to prove to these guys, because watch, they had seen him die. They watched him get buried. They know he's dead, and now he's standing here. Are you really Jesus? Look at Luke 24, 39. He says, look at my hands. Now he's resurrected. He's resurrected. Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. It's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am, and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. Just because you get a glorified body, church. Just because you get a glorified body and you're going to live in a glorified place doesn't mean you won't be you. You're going to be you. Philippians three verse 20 says but we are citizens of heaven where the lord jesus christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior is that you you want a big test just ask yourself this question are you eagerly are you hoping it's this afternoon i'm hoping it's that i'd like for him come before i finish this morning we're citizens of heaven we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior you know why you know why? Because he will take our weak, mortal bodies. I told you it's going to be a loud shout, the voice of the archangel, on trumpet blast. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. I'm going to get a body like Jesus. I'm not going to become Jesus. I'm going to get a body like Jesus. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So here comes, let's ask some questions about the afterlife. And when I say afterlife, I'm talking about the afterlife in heaven. Will you be an angel? Will you become an angel? The only nice way I can put it is this is funeral home talk. I'll probably make somebody mad with this one. I go to funerals and they look at me and say, yeah, he's an angel now. And I'm like, (laughs) don't say it, don't say it. Don't say it, because I want it to say, no, he's not. He's not going to become an angel. Where do you get that? You made that up. It's just more people making stuff up. It's not in the Bible. He's not going to become an angel. People are, people are people, and angels are angels. You're not, beca- not going to become an angel when you get to heaven, because most certainly you weren't angels when you were here. Ask your parents. You're going to be you in heaven. And you're not an angel. Angels are angels. Angels have their own identities, and angels have their own names. Two angels we know their names. I don't know the angels' other names. Michael and Gabriel—they've got names. I look forward to meeting the angels that God has assigned to me. See, I—I I, I, I can tell you what is true. I can tell you what is true. When you're a child, God assigns an angel to you. That's not made up. I'm gonna show you. It's in the Bible. When you're a child, God assigns an angel to you, and, and that's powerful to me, that God, these are ministering spirits who stand in the presence of God. That's how they're referred to, ministering spirits, and I'm going to tell you, listen, my big event when I get to heaven is looking at Jesus, the falling down on my face in front of him and giving him my adoration and my thanksgiving. But I'm going to tell you, I'm looking forward to meeting the angel or angels that he put in charge of watching after me and apologizing for some of the early years. I'm going to need to say, sorry about that time between 15 and 20. Those years between 15 and 20. And I'm looking for the angels to say, yeah, we had to bring in help those years. I remember as a youth, I was sitting in the front yard of my grandfather's house and he taught me Psalms 91. He taught me. He memorized it. He taught me Psalms 91. In verse 11 of Psalms 91, it says, For he, God, will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. God's going to put angels to watch over you. You're going to get to meet those angels one day in this afterlife place called heaven. They've been with you since you were a child, protecting you, standing with you, doing whatever they need to on your behalf under the authority of God. How do I know all this? How do I know? Because Jesus announces it in the Word. In fact, they they kind of fussed at Jesus because all these kids were around Him. And here's His response. Matthew eighteen ten, Jesus says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little children, these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Don't you mess with these kids. They got angels. And those angels have access to God. Who could know me better than those angels that God has assigned to me since my youth? So here comes another question. Will they call me Terry in heaven or will I call you by your name in heaven? If I'm me and you're you, wouldn't it be logical that I would call you by your name and you'd call me by my name? Actually, he can call me whatever he wants to. Just call me. The Bible says that our names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our names. Our names. Now, I feel like that name is the name given to me by Dawn and Kathleen Cooper, my parents. God calls people in heaven by those same names here on earth. It's recorded in the scripture. Jesus uses Lazarus' his name in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? He calls him out by name. He's in paradise with Abraham. And Jesus refers to him not as a strange name. He calls him Lazarus. Something interesting about that story is, is that he, the rich man doesn't have a name because the rich man doesn't have a life. He's been erased from human existence because he's in Hades. And in the second resurrection, he'll be transferred from Hades to hell. And his life will have had no meaning or purpose. He's erased, no name. A life without meaning. Jesus uses Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's name in the afterlife. It's found in Luke 13, 28. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. Now he's calling them by their earthly names. In addition to our earthly names, we're going to receive a new name in heaven. And I find that interesting, and God has some example, some precedent. When he comes to Abram and enters into a covenant, what does he do to Abram? He changes his name to Abraham. Abraham's wife's name was Sarai, and he changes her name to Sarah. And then in the New Testament, Jesus, there's this guy named Simon, a fisherman, and he encounters Jesus, and Jesus changes his name to Peter. In the book of Revelation, he writes, Jesus speaks to the church of Pergamum, and he talks about giving us a new name. Let me read it to you. Revelation 2, 17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Did you know Jesus is going to get a new name in heaven? The Hebrews call him Yahshua. We call him Jesus. Same name, just different language. Do you know he's going to get a new name in heaven? Jesus reveals this to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Jesus is going to write on the believers in the city of New Jerusalem his new name. All right, let's go to another question. Will we really be perfect, perfect people inside perfect bodies? Will we be perfect in this afterlife place called heaven? Adam and Eve were perfect until they sinned and received the curse of God. They lost something that God had planned for humanity. You know what it was? Moral perfection. Moral perfection. Since that day, we've been human But we've not been perfectly human. You and I have never known life without a curse. Nobody in this room has ever known what it is like to live without a curse. What curse? Death. you, You don't know what it's like for people to not die. You don't know what it's like for people to not grow old. To everybody just reach a certain point and they're just always that point of age. In heaven, we're going to be morally perfect but we will still be finite beings. Listen carefully, because this is one of those things that people have also made up. In heaven, we're going to be morally perfect, but we will be finite beings. Let me tell you what that means. We will have limits. We will have boundaries. There will be things that we can't do in heaven. Now, some of you are giving me that look like, well, I'm already disappointed. There will be limits. There will be boundaries. There will be things we cannot do. We are not almighty. If you had the idea that when you got to heaven, you were almighty, that you became like a god, you made that up. You made that up because I'm going to tell you when you get to heaven, one thing will be clear that position's already taken. He's the one who sits on the throne, and He doesn't have boundaries, and He doesn't have limits, and there is nothing He cannot do. But that is not who we are. We will have boundaries, we will have limits. There will be things you cannot do. God is infinite. We are finite. Even when we get a glorified body, even when we pierce the door into the afterlife of heaven, we will still be human. We will still have boundaries. What those boundaries are, I'm not sure. I don't know. I can tell you this. We won't be God. We will be morally perfect. But we will not be God. Why do I say that? Because here is the fundamental of the curse. The angels are in heaven And they have limits. And the angels that fail, Satan, came to the earth and infected Adam and Eve with lawlessness. The origin of the fall of man has to do with angels who did not stay in the boundaries or limits placed by God. I'm going to prove it to you so that you don't think I'm making it up in the book of jude chapter 1 verse 6 and i remind you of the angels (coughs) who did not stay within the limits of authority did you know this in the bible i want to remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority god gave them but left the place where they belonged and god has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting the great day of judgment there is so much we don't know about what will be like in the afterlife. There's so much, I don't know. I believe we'll be morally perfect. And I believe that what we know today about our limits will be greatly expanded in the eternal kingdom of God. But I, I, I don't know exactly what all that will mean. But I can tell you what I know for sure. In fact, this is kind of the grand finale of that question. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like. We're already, the curse is already lifted in this guy. The cur- if you're in Christ today, I'm going to tell you, the curse has already been lifted. But he has not already shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that, when, that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. Okay, here comes another question. What will that glorious body be like? Philippians 3 21 he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control this new body will be free from the curse it will not decay how many of y'all like the idea that you get a brand new body and that brand new body will never get old say amen it will not be subject to disease This resurrected new body will be at least as good as Adam and Eve's, maybe better. Right now, we have been given five senses by God. These five senses defined our humanity. What are they? Sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. We have five senses. These define our humanity. Our humanness is wrapped inside five senses Right now, I'll I'll give you an example. Right now, I wear contact lenses. Contact lenses help me because I can't see very well without them. I also wear hearing aids. Some of you don't know that. I wear hearing aids. I lost most of my hearing in my left ear in the military. So I wear hearing aids. Due to that issue, there are things right now that I can't see clearly. There are also things that I can't hear very well. If you talk to me when we're out in that welcome center or there's a huge crowd around me and a lot of noise, I really struggle with hearing because of my condition. When my weak, mortal body is transformed to be like Jesus, because one of these days, I'm not going to need contact lenses. One of these days, I'm going to be able to hear just fine. One of these days, I'm going to see what I have never seen. See, I don't even think it'll be going back to 2020. I think I'm going to see things that I have never been able to experience in human flesh. Maybe colors or things. You ever look at how John describes things in heaven? It's like he doesn't have any words to put to those things. So he like just has to use what he's got. See, I believe we're going to see things we've never seen. We're going to hear things we've never heard. We're going to taste things that we've never tasted. We're going to feel things we've never felt. And maybe, maybe listen, I don't know, maybe the five senses will be expanded to six or seven or eight or nine or ten. I don't know. but I know this. We're going to be like Him. All right, another question. Will we eat or drink in the afterlife of heaven? Will you eat? Will you drink? Listen to this scripture about the afterlife of the saved. Revelation 7, 16. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I don't think when it says they will never again be hungry or thirsty, I don't think that means there's a lack of desire to eat or drink. I believe that it means that all of, your, all of your desires will be fully met. That you won't experience hunger because you'll never have to be hungry. You won't experience thirst because you'll never have to be thirsty and not have thirst quenched. Adam and Eve ate in the garden before the curse. So why wouldn't we eat in heaven when the curse is lifted? In fact, what did they eat? They were in immortal flesh. They're not under a curse. What'd they eat? It wasn't ribeye. Now, some of you are already sad. Okay? Genesis 1, Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, small animals that scurry along the ground everything that has life. And that is what happened. And then God looked over all that He had made and He said that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. It is very good. Eating is not the curse. Dying from eating is the curse. I love to eat here. Some of you might have noticed or picked up on the sign here. I love to eat here on this earth and I believe I will love to eat in heaven. Taste is one of the senses God gave humanity. Taste. Taste. Jesus ate fish in his resurrected body. Do you know that? When he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, said, I'm not a ghost. Touch my hands. Do you have anything to eat? They gave him fish. I can tell you I like fish. Any way you fix it, I like it. God talks about heaven being a wedding feast at a table with real food. Adam and Eve had water to drink in the garden. I believe we're going to drink water in the afterlife. In Revelation 21, 6, he says, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Is there water in heaven? There's no longer any sea, but is there water? Yeah, where does it come from? From the throne. Revelation 22, then the angel showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be any curse, no curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. What's more satisfying than a cool drink of water on a hot sunny day? Let me close with this wonderful question from Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. I'm going to give you a choice A and a choice B. Which would be better in the afterlife called Heaven? Living forever without a single need or, let's make that A. Living forever without a single need in a glorified body but not a single need or, living forever with many needs, and all of them fully satisfied by God all the time. I'm taking B. You see, it is our needs and our desires that make us human. It is our needs that make us alive. Dead people don't need anything. Jesus canceled the curse when he died on the cross at Calvary. Everything I've said today is to bring us here. Jesus canceled the curse. Who would walk out this door today under a curse when you could have it lifted? Who would do that? If I die tonight, my spirit, my soul will depart this fleshly body and move to the presence of God where my spirit, my soul will dwell with Jesus until I receive my resurrected glorious body. If I die before the Lord returns, I will return with Him when the loud shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet blast occurs, I will return with him to this earth to receive my resurrected body that somebody put in the ground. And if I survive, which is the plan I'm working on right now, if I survive until the coming of Jesus for his bride, the church, I will never see a physical death And my body will be transformed into glorious, perfect, immortal flesh as I rise to meet the Lord in the air. Either way, doesn't matter, either way, the curse has been lifted for me. Either way, the curse has been lifted for anyone who has allowed Jesus to receive your curse. Are you with me? That He took your curse. Because if He didn't take your curse, you still got it. And if He didn't take your curse, you're going to live it. You're going to experience it. Has has the curse been lifted for everyone? Has God offered to lift the curse? What? Death and decay. Has He offered to lift the curse for all humanity? Yes, yes, yes. Will everyone receive the lifting of the curse? No. In fact, I'm going to tell you the truth. Only a few, only a few. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, away with you. Why? You cursed ones. You're still under the curse. You cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Why? Because you never had the curse removed. There is an afterlife. Church, I'm telling you today there is an afterlife. There is an afterlife for the saved and there is an afterlife for the cursed. And everybody is in one of those two categories. Do you know how God set you free from the curse? When Jesus became the curse and you believed in Jesus, you were set free from the curse. In Galatians 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse. Pronounced by the law. When He was hung on the cross, He took upon Himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it it was written in the Scripture, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Did He do that for you? By faith He did that for me. By faith He became my curse. That day on the cross, the wrath of God, the curse of God that was going to be applied to me was applied to Him. And if it were not applied to Him in my stead, then I'm going to get it. I'm going to receive it. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for my transgressions. For me. He took my curse. He was crushed for my iniquities. He took my curse. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by him becoming the curse, I am free. I'm healed. I'm healed. If Jesus doesn't take your curse, you're going to bear it yourself. You're going to bear it yourself. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Here's a question. If you were God, if you were God and you put your only son on a tree to become the curse... So that people wouldn't have to be cursed. And then people follow in generations and they refuse to believe in the Son that became the curse. If you were God, what would you do? What would you do to them? Bring them to heaven? What would you do? You know what you'd do. And you're not God. You're not a holy God. So today, you've got two choices. If you're in Christ, celebrate the fact that we're not under the curse. We've been set free. The resurrection is ours. One day there's going to be a loud shout, voice, the archangel, and trumpet call. We're going to rise. If you're not in Christ today, you're under the curse. And if you turn and walk out that door under the curse, you are cursed. You are cursed. And you're not going to look at God one day and say, why would you do this to me? No. You did it to you. You did it to you. The invitation's open. The